Good morning. Um, would you bow your hearts with me? God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, draw near now. Amen. I was baptized as a young adult in the choppy waters of the Atlantic Ocean out by Coney Island. I came dressed for the occasion in denim cutoffs and an oversized t-shirt with my homegirl Robin by my side. She was there to be baptized as well, having taken this journey with me. And so was Maureen, a midlife mother of two. We'd prepared for this day for weeks and took it seriously. We'd been prayed over, mentored, dare I say, we'd been loved into this moment by faithful, hopeful guides. So I'm not sure what we would have done if our arrival at the water's edge that day was met with name calling and brutal imagery about judgment. Name calling, brutal imagery, judgment. Ouch, ouch, and ouch. Preachers worry over texts like these. We wonder how a sermon drawn from such words will land on our parishioners. We worry our words will offend. For his part, and as you can see, John doesn't really seem to care. He isn't here for our feelings. He's here to point to Jesus. John's words are for mature ears, and his message is quite simple. From the message translation that reads, what counts is your life? Is it green and flourishing? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. John's the bad boy of the Bible, and to be honest, I kind of like him. John's job is to prepare the way for the coming Messiah and he is single-minded in this task, choosing to shock with the one-two punch of tough love rather than the simplicity of a soft sell. He's from the school of scared straight. <laughs> For John, repentance comes first, and it is the repentant lifestyle that reorients the life of the believer, shifting him or her to a focus on the imminence of the kingdom the fullness of God's power and presence, one that is recognized by all creation. What he wants is our in real time surrender to the work of repentance. Nothing less will do. His is the job of leading this new act of liberation and his focus isn't one of magical and miraculous bliss. No, no, no. It's one of active tension and struggle. John presents a straightforward demand and his brusque words come from a desire to make clear the significance of the message and the severity of time. His message is critical and urgent. What he wants to know, what he really wants to know is what brings us to the wilderness. John believes there simply isn't any more time and speaks to the people gathered with fervor and a sense of immediacy. His plan is an ethical command and commissioning. It is practical and faithful 
but it is demanding. He's harsh. His words cut and sting. There's no getting around that. John calls it as he sees it. The crowd gather had not yet shown evidence of repentance, not according to his eyes. They had not borne fruit. Could the same have been said of my friends and I back then? Were our motivations pure? How might we have fared under John's glaring lens? I'm not sure. Were it not for grace, I'm afraid he might have had every reason to lump us in the crowd with the brood of vipers. So John's words are a leveling of sorts for the varied group of people that showed up that day. None in any way was superior to the other. You, all of you, John says, from what I can tell, you've got it all wrong. Your lives aren't bearing fruit. What you're doing, how you're living, doesn't line up with the new order being established. Point blank, period. And being born a descendant of Abraham won't be enough. It provides no privileges, no exclusion from the work of repentance. So why have they come? And what keeps them there after being called out so harshly? For myself and the other baptismal candidates that day, for our part, we'd learned through experience the grace and truth of a weekly altar call where we poured out our sorrows and struggles in tears. We knew the request for prayer and the laying on of hands that we could and would call on and pull from as we traveled this new and bumpy road. We knew ourselves to be sinners in need of salvation. That's just the training we got. No matter how cute we looked or how deeply hidden or layered our sins were, we came to take another step on the journey to do the hard work. We kept trying. But words of affirmation, the Jesus loves you method, right? Absent, somewhat in today's text, was definitely in the mix. The crowds came to do the work or to at least inquire about the ethical demand John places on them to get their business straight. At his rather rude naming of them as the children of snakes does not deter their desire to see and know. They keep coming back. They don't leave. It is the most perplexing thing to me that they don't walk away. Theirs is a response to a social and moral revolution happening in and around their world. They're responding to it, even when it hurts. They don't turn away from the name calling. They don't run and hide when he starts chopping away with that axe. They don't leave. Instead, they enter into what can only be described as a time of discernment. This face-to-face -face encounter with judgment leads to discernment. They want to know and they start to ask himself, him and themselves questions. What must we do? What must we do with who and what we are? That the community gathered doesn't flinch under such abrasive words is in one sense shocking, but not so much if you see it in context of this longed for, desperately needed change that was brewing in their midst, a change that despite these words created a feeling of excitement. This was the good news of oppressive structures being torn down, of the challenging of Herod's reign. This was good news to the poor and marginalized, and it was good news for anyone who recognized the tragedy of living blind to the needs of others. 
whose long-standing position of authority had been wielded with little to no integrity. If the ministry John started was making any headway at all, they'd heard the news of a Messiah, a divine liberator. And they came to the wilderness, an inconvenient place of wrestling for a lifestyle confrontation. It is a journey to freedom from bondage. And from their questions, they were ready for it. If all they had to endure was a salty sermon beginning, well, so be it. They were ready for change. John's message is dismantling and demanding. His message, prepare, get ready, start changing the world right now, speaks to the advent of the Messiah, Jesus. And there is nothing for him more urgent than that. Repentance was the way forward, and with it came ownership and accountability and the call to action, all with the knowledge that Jesus would accompany us in the holy hardness of it all. John points to Jesus as the Messiah, and Jesus is the judge of the systems and structures that are being torn down. He is the threat to Herod's empire and the judgment that separates good from evil. He makes right the wrongs. This is the good news. The judgment in the form of an axe or a winnowing fork alludes to the slicing away, the careful excision of disease, of trauma and injustice, the separation of what is beneficial from what doesn't serve or align with God's kingdom and purpose. As with the naming of Abraham, these images connected them to a sense of memory and identity. It also described the intensity of power behind Jesus's plan to separate, to distinguish between the key players from the haters. Today, we might say, get your act together. Jesus is about to delete your account. He's mercilessly cleaning out his inbox. Unnecessary files are being deleted. Is this good news? Yes, yes, it is because judgment and promise go hand in hand. His are tools that simultaneously cut and seal. The big picture is always about restoration and healing of life. And so they don't leave. They come to the wilderness to be baptized, to participate in the shift that is taking place in front of them. They respond with an awareness that something is required of them. They ask, what must we do? And John speaks to them, all those gathered, but particularly to anyone of any means of privilege, and tells them how they might use their position, positions of power, to help the less fortunate. There will be no languishing in the comfort of God's kingdom when there is so much good work to be done. So it is good news in its future promise, something to which we can look forward and hold on to in hope. It is good in its ethical challenge and command that when faithfully enacted, make sure the world we live is in fact good for all of us. Share, be fair, don't cheat. Do not use your authority for your own benefit. These are the principles of this alternative community, principles that are coming to life, and this work begins right now. It's time to reshape and reform, maybe even rebuild this world. 
The old way is making way for the new, and all of it is a command. No matter how you slice it, it is a command. You've got to make a decision and you've got to get on board. John brings the message, the message of right living, thinking and doing, this turning away from sin, this breaking away from of repentance. John brings it and Jesus continues it. John prepares the way. The coming of the word to John in the wilderness marks the beginning of a ministry that leads us, points us to Jesus. John is the link between the world of sin and death and the world of forgiveness and life. He points to Jesus and the reformed world we hope for and tells us to look ahead, to look to the future, to the promise of this coming savior. For John, water baptism is a faithful beginning that continues with the work of Jesus who baptizes and empowers with the spirit. And the crowds have come in anticipation of the news of a Messiah to the wilderness to consider the age that is dying and the new age that is to come. Like us, they are faced with the persistent questioning and reflection on what must be surrendered or changed so that something new can be born. This is part of repentance, not born of guilt, but an intentional confrontation with the darkness in our lives and the acknowledgement that it is where we live. It is ever present. And so is the light. Advent begins when we acknowledge the light is ever growing, ever present, always coming. When we begin to see and perpetually carry it within us. In baptism, we are lovingly grafted into the family of God and nothing can separate us from that bond. Whatever got me to the water that day many, many years ago now, I made it and was marked forever as God's child. Love, grace, and spirit made a place for my friends and I that day. Today, Isai receives that same marking, and many of you have it as well. You've chosen it. Today, he becomes with us a carrier of the light. As we walk with him today, remember and recite the words of our own baptismal covenant. Let us lean into a sense of wholeness. Let us remember our healing from our separation and our commitment to be carriers of God's light in this world. Let us remember that there is an expectation beyond the ritual, that the ritual is an open door, a beginning of a lifelong journey, one that is repeatedly tweaked and altered in ways both big and small. We're called to keep believing for and turning toward the light, to ask and ask again, what needs to die that we might live into the fullness of this dream fully, completely, holy, holy. What are we seeing? What remains hidden? What can we do with who we are? And then will we trust Jesus to do the work only Jesus can do? To with love wield the ax, to with love the winnowing fork. Will we say yes to the perpetual refining? the peeling and paring away of layers that will reveal our sacred nature as children of God, God's purpose and intention for us. 
We don't have an answer beyond the ones John's offered for the alternative community, he proclaims. But a life of faith demands we continue this internal questioning and reflection. What must we do? What is ours to do? What is yours? What is mine? How can I be an agent of change and transformation for myself and others in my calling and vocation, my relationships? The crowd wants to know. They don't turn away. May it be so with us. Amen. <laughs>